Welcome to the Real Driving Man podcast. I am John Henry. Uh, today is an episode of Bipolar Talk where I'm going to talk about things related to mental illness. If you'd like to check out episodes where I'm just ranting, please check out my self-therapy episodes. I haven't done an episode quite like this. Usually these episodes have one singular topic that I explore in depth, but throughout the week I just had a bunch of different smaller topics that I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to do a dive into about four different topics. They're all going to kind of relate to mental health, so I'm still putting this as bipolar talk, but we'll see how it goes. Um, it's a little bit more improv than normal, I think. And if the sound is off, I'm trying to get the sound right on these episodes because they've been kind of low. So we're working out a couple things, as with the lighting, if you're watching this on YouTube. But it's a journey. It's a journey. Uh, so the first topic today is one I've talked about before, but it's there are no silver bullets. Everybody wants a silver bullet in every aspect of life. The one thing that you need to know to get the relationship you want, the job you want, the phys physique you want, the one workout you do that will give you the body you want, the one diet that will give you the life you want, the one this, the one that, the silver bullet that's going to fix it all. And... I don't believe in silver bullets. I don't believe they exist. I believe they're a fantasy. Um, I believe they're all often very useful solutions, but in terms of one single thing that's going to fix it for everybody, those don't exist, especially in terms of mental health. It's why mental health, I've always said, is not Instagrammable. There's not going to be one thing you're going to do that's going to make everything better. You have to develop habits over time. There's not a silver bullet. They don't exist. And especially in modern medicine, we want there to be silver bullets. We're going to take this medication. We're going to lose weight. Um, I know there's a very popular weight loss drug now called Ozempic, which it seems to work really well um, for a lot of people. But I even, even that, even if it is the drug that makes you lose all the fat you want to lose, I don't believe silver bullets exist because that's violating a very big rule, which is, simple solutions to complex problems. Usually health is a complex problem, and while there may be a very good solution, it needs to be integrated with other different approaches to have a more comprehensive approach that is covering all the bases. And when you try to shove this singular solution, it may solve part of the problem, but it usually just creates other problems. I don't believe problems are that easy to solve. Maybe this is a you know, Debbie Downer view of health. And, you know, I've heard, at least on podcasts, that people have used the drug Ozempic alongside weightlifting. That has, that, that, or, you know, developing a healthy lifestyle, then it works better. And see, that's not using silver bullets. That's, there's no silver bullets. There's just a lot of lead bullets. And you got to keep on trying multiple approaches. We all want a one size fits all for everything. And, I believe, especially pharmaceutical companies, want you to believe that as well. Um, like there's this one vaccine, this one medication, this one one miracle pill that's going to fix everything. And while there are a lot of useful medications and science is amazing nowadays and we have all these amazing technologies, and I'm not here to criticize each one, I don't believe that it's one's going to fix it all. You have to have other approaches. If you're going to try to lose weight, yeah, maybe try these drugs. But like, make sure you're developing a habit of being healthy because 
even if this drug makes you lose all the weight, if you don't have a habit of being healthy, you're just going to put the weight back on. And if you're running or you're developing a workout routine along with eating healthy, then those drugs I think work the best because it's a boost to like your to what you're already doing, but those other approaches that you're trying to integrate into a larger solution are also amplified by it. And like I said, there there's a I think the sin of our society is trying to fit simple, especially here in the U.S., is fitting simple solutions to complex problems, which usually just makes complex problems worse. We we do that all the time because we're partly led to believe with all these amazing ads on TV and all these amazing technologies we have that, you know, oh, I just need this thing. And personally, I fall into this thinking. I f- fell into a lot when I was growing up. I used to be addicted to video games, and I always thought, well, if I just get this video game, and then if I just get the next one, it's going to fix everything. And I realized, especially as I started getting to college, that, yeah, video games were fun, and I could play them, but they weren't fixing my problems. I couldn't load all my problems onto this one solution. I had to figure out other ways to figure things out. And it's it's romantic, the silver bullet, the one thing you're going to do. The one thing, and it can be anything. It could be like, well, if I get in this one relationship, everything's going to be fine. Um, I remember during COVID when uh, it was kind of unsure how things were going to ravel early on. I was always thinking, oh, if, if things just go back to normal. And they never went back to normal. And that thinking just made me delusional and prevented me from developing strategies for dealing with the situation as it came. And that's not to mean like I was, that's where I was at. That's where people are. Sometimes simple solutions work, but I think especially, um, I mean, I guess I try not to be too political, but I'm going to talk about this because I've talked about it on other podcasts. Uh, that's how I felt about the vaccines. Like when the vaccines came out, uh, I thought it was weird because I'm not going to comment on them. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge fan of how they were enforced on everybody, um, given how little time they were researched and now there's more data coming out that there's they're more harmful than if you didn't have them in the first place. And I was kind of raising this alarm two years ago because I was just listening to Brett Weinstein and a lot of other doctors like uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who has like nine of the 11 patents on the mRNA technology. And I just thought, well, if the guy who invented it is warning against it, maybe it's not all that. But... Beside the point, because like I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't feel super comfortable trying to criticize these medications just because I can't do it in a very technical fashion. I'm just trying to tell the experience around it. What I didn't like, the everyone, when I, I talked to friends, roommates, people about, I don't think I'm going to get vaccinated. This is why I don't judge anyone who does. I just don't think I, I want to do it. Um, people would freak out at you. Like, I thought, well, if I get sick, the vaccines, they don't prevent, and that was early on, they don't prevent spread. So if I get sick, I'm, I mean, there's there's medications you can take for it, monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, those are other issues, but they were there. 
And I thought it was interesting how the whole world wanted the vaccine to be the one silver bullet solution. And that's why I wasn't sold on it. Because if they were like, hey, we have this vaccine, but there's also these other medications that are out here that have these other dynamic approaches. So you can do this one, you can do this one. But it wasn't. It was just a vaccine. The vaccine is the only solution. And I was like, oh, that's a silver bullet. And those don't exist. So I don't believe you. And I think I turned out to be right. I'm not trying to alienate people with the vaccine argument as it often does. I'm just trying to kind of brush over it um, to illustrate that that was a silver bullet. And it didn't turn out to be a silver bullet. People, you had to get boosted multiple times. Uh, You know, they've caused damage in some people due to how, from what I understand, the lipid nanoparticles, they don't just stay in your arm. They go throughout the whole body, which can cause damage in certain areas that aren't meant to have those attacks take place. Um, and I just, I, I being raised to deal with a mental illness, I knew having a chronic mental illness, there's no silver bullet. I have been medicated since I was four years old uh, from a child psychiatrist who knew his shit. And I learned like dealing with this mental illness, there's no silver bullets. I have to do a lot of different things to make sure I'm mentally healthy. And This kind of falls into like Messiah thinking. I just went and saw Dune 2, which is a great movie. I loved it. Um, But, you know, Dune is always about exploring the consequences of a Messiah. And a Messiah is a silver bullet. And as you read in the books, um, you know, Paul was the Messiah, but he ended up causing a lot more problems than he ended up fixing. Um and I don't want to say too much because the movie's still pretty new and I don't know how they're going to go with the sequel, but messiahs are silver bullets and I don't believe in silver bullets. But it's easy, especially in like the story of Dune where the Fremen are these historically oppressed people for hundreds of years and that is when you really do want your silver bullet. But they just create more problems because they're painting over this whole problem space with one color and it doesn't mesh well with everything. So you just end up creating a lot of other different problems. Um, maybe you did fix a lot of problems with your silver bullet, but you're bound to create more. And I think it's the same thing. Um, and I don't understand this, but I thought it was interesting and I thought I'd mention it. Uh, I know that Brett, Eric Weinstein, Brett's brother was talking about how for years, and I don't know anything about physics, the physics community has been going after string theory and he believes that there are from what i understand that they've kind of gotten i don't know pigeonholed maybe not be the best word but they've they have had a narrow like view that this string theory has to be correct and brett uh, eric thinks that there are other theories that may prove to have great discoveries that we're ignoring because the physics community is so focused on string theory and i don't know a ton about string theory i've just heard bits here and there but from what i understand it's like a theory of everything and it may end up being true i'm not smart enough to diss these theories but it sure as hell sounds like a silver bullet to me and if you've been spending 40 years on something that you you it it has to be the right answer and maybe it's not and what do i know like people who work on these theories way smarter than me i dropped out of college like i'm not i never even got my master's so technically i don't know but silver bullets are sexy and that's why they're dangerous. They're silver. They're shiny. They're nice. They fit things elegantly. And it's not how reality works. And it's why they're dangerous. Anyway, moving on. Because I spent more time on that than I thought I would. But, oh well. 
the emotional knot. This is an idea I actually came up with. Well, you know, someone else may have come up with it, but as far as I know, I came up with it. Um, and what I call, what, what's the, what is the emotional knot? Well, the emotional knot is, I think in our psychology is a collection of subpersonalities and thoughts and emotions. And every thought and emotion is like a string, you know, it's a string. And I believe that as life happens, these thoughts and these emotions get tangled up together, you know, and experiences that we have that stem from emotions all get tangled up together. And when someone is really trying to figure out who they are like, or work through their emotions in therapy, I think we often come into this emotional knot because we have all these emotions and all these experiences that meld together. And especially if there's emotions attached to these experiences, they tend to tangle everything up. And if you try to just isolate one experience and understand it, you tend to pull on the whole knot. And what happens when you pull on a whole knot that's not loosening it? You just tighten it. And so not only do you tighten that experience in your knot of experiences, but it knots everything together. So then all the emotions from all these other experiences are going to come together and they're just going to make this knot tighter and they're going to make you blow up. And I have this experience all the time. You know, I'll have a, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I, uh, and I actually, I'll talk about this next, but uh, I fucked up at work due to, yeah, it was just a mishap at work. Um, I messed up, and I'll get into that in a bit. And I was trying to, you know, go through and deal with the consequences and work through it. And I remember as I was trying to work through those consequences, a lot of my own frustration with my own dating life and my own friendships and where I was at in comedy, those were all aggravating this whole experience and just knotted up and made me freaking angry. And I wasn't isolating the one experience, which was the fuck up at work to go and fix it. I was pulling on everything. And I think it's important for people to realize all of our experiences feed into one another. And then those emotions tangle everything up. And we need to recognize that when we're getting mad at something, it may have to do with the fact that we have a lot of other emotions tangled within. And we, need, we may need to step back. And try to, like you do if you have a very tangled up knot, you have to pull that a piece individually, carefully, and take the time to really untangle that one experience and deal with each thread one by one. Now, that's borderline impossible at first. Everyone's going to tangle up this knot. I think it's a never-ending process. It's not like, oh, I got my knot untangled. Yeah, it's going to tangle up again. But it's to help people understand that sometimes, I think, especially if we're dealing with a situation where, you know, we're dealing with a conflict. And I do think that what tangles these things up more than anything is trauma, trauma stuff you haven't dealt with. And what that does is it, say if you have an issue um, with a significant other about just, you know, living stuff, nothing big. And they may say, hey, you know, you're not doing this. And I wish you'd do that. And they're trying to have a conversation. And you may get mad because of the reason you're doing that is because, you know, you had a bad childhood experience that led to this. And then that feeds into all those other experiences that came from that. And you're basically reacting to not just their critique, but every other critique that they had nothing to do with that is all you. And you're tangling up in this knot rather than saying, oh, they're just have issue with this behavior and I can, I can fix that. Now, I think... I'm no expert at this, and I'm still trying to figure out how to do this podcasting thing. I don't know if there's a really good way to untangle knots. I think therapy with a qualified 
psychiatrist or therapist can can help people. But to help, I think it's mainly an awareness. If you can have an awareness about this this not, like am I getting upset about this thing I'm being called out for or am I adding a lot of my other emotions into this in an unnecessary way? Because life's hard. Life is very hard. And I think this happens a lot with men, probably, because I think we don't do a good job of isolating our emotions. And for me, at least, I think for a lot of other guys, when we don't understand anything, we just go straight to an, a base emotion like anger. I'm angry, and I'm drawing on all my past experiences because anger feels good. It's one thing I think people don't like to admit. It feels good to be angry. It makes you feel like you have control. But what you're doing is you're just like sucking the life out of all your past trauma and experiences and using that as an excuse to blow up, which isn't okay. You have to own your own emotions and need to be able to isolate them so you can understand them. I think spending a lot of time thinking about your emotions and why am I feeling this way can really help untangle that knot to say, okay, I'm dealing with this issue. That issue's resolved. Okay, next issue. This is how I feel about this issue. I'm not there yet. Okay, moving on. To really try to separate these so the emotions don't get tangled in and you don't blow up. Especially if you have a mental illness like bipolar where your emotions are always supercharged. It, it's always going to tangle this knot up because you have such big emotions and it's easy to want to justify those emotions to people who may not have the illness because you're like, it's, it's just the way it is. I don't mean to be this way, but I am. And it's hard. It's very hard. I still struggle with this today. Um, but I think it's important to to recognize that, to recognize the fact that we're getting all tangled up in our emotions and our experiences. And if we can untangle them and deal with them one by one, we have a lot of pathways forward that aren't just all tangled up into one ball of our worst emotions. Okay, cool. We'll move on. Now moving on to what I was uh, talking about before. This is kind of, this whole episode has kind of been more like a self-therapy episode as I'm not as on task as I am, but I do kind of like it because I can look at a bunch of little different topics without having to go super, super far into each one. Um, I don't know what I'll call these types of episodes in the future, but this is to getting to, I talked about uh, earlier, my fuck up at work. So what happened? Well, um, if you listen to this podcast, I talk about, uh, I'm not very, I'm not a very polite person in terms of, uh, just personality traits. Um, I'm a comedian, which comedians don't tend to be very polite and I tend to be very upfront and truthful and blunt. And I often complain how, and there was a really good episode by uh, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hain about the dangers of being too polite. And there are many of never saying what you actually think, trying to appease some higher power organization, some ideology. And I never liked that. I always thought just say what you, you know, say what you mean and deal with those consequences. Well, time to deal with consequences because there are downsides of not being very polite and just having no filter all the time. 
um, at work. I have a very close relationship with one of my coworkers. Um, I know her and you know her her boyfriend, and uh, we usually have a great relationship. And it can be kind of it can be you know, it's pretty it's intimate. She'll walk by me and be like, "I just took four shits today." Um, and so there's there's a level of intimacy in there. We've worked together for three months. We get along, um, and we were just having a conversation at work. Nothing nothing major. And she was wearing heels, and we started talking about heels. And I mentioned that, you know, I'm like, it does make your butt and boobs look good. It was kind of a throwaway comment. I didn't think literally anything of it. I just said what I thought. Um, And I had no idea it bothered her because conversation ended. I'm a guy. Sometimes I don't notice things. And it went on. And the rest of the day was very normal. But she came to work the next day. And I was talking to her for a bit. And then she interrupted me and said, hey, um, I really didn't appreciate those comments. And neither did my boyfriend uh, yesterday. And it took me a minute to be like, what comments? And then she, you know, mentioned ones, the ones about her body. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. And I felt like shit for a bit. It took me a minute to, like, gather all those emotions, untangle the emotional knot, if you will. Uh, and I had to go and apologize. And I remember it was hard. It was hard to be like, hey, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I didn't want to make you feel this way. I didn't want to make your boyfriend feel this way. I'm not trying to create those tensions. I have no filter, and this is the consequences of things. And I'm sorry, and it won't happen again. And th- I guess this story is to illustrate there are consequences of saying stupid shit and of being yourself. And I wanted to illustrate them in this. There's no right way to be. I mean, there's there's no solutions. There's only trade-offs. And this is one of the trade-offs of being very direct. I don't really th- often think about what I'm saying and how it might aff- affect people. And I just say it, and then if I fuck up like this, I own it. And it's not always easy, and it does cause problems, but in my, I don't, if you're always going to think about what you are saying and how does it affect people, you're never going to say anything. And maybe I talk too much anyway, and I should do more of that. But I think that especially in a world that's as complex and integrated as we all are, I'm genuine. Like, I didn't, when I said those comments, they weren't actually meant, they were just what I thought. I didn't. I'm a guy, you know, like you can, all guys know when, even if you have female friends, you can be attracted to them and not want to, you know, there's, there's lines like there's, and with this coworker, I was never romantically interested. I just said what I was on top of my mind. And sometimes I have to, I don't recognize that, you know, comments towards women about their body. I'm a guy. I never deal with that. And so I didn't know that experience was difficult for people. And she let me know. And I was like, okay, I'll adjust my behavior accordingly. Um, and that's all all you can do. I think you have to own your fuck up, but then you can't also drive home and make yourself feel like total shit. Because uh, then why? That's so hard to worry about what you're saying all the time. That's why I do it this way. I'd rather just have to apologize when I fuck up and try to edit my behavior than have to figure out how I have to react around every group of different people I'm around those fuck-ups are how I learn. I'm like, okay, I can't say that around them. I have to adjust my behavior. Because um, I don't know how to be anything else other than this. I've always been a very upfront, forward person. I don't get why people lie to themselves or anyone else. I mean, I get it for in terms of like short gain. But in terms of like how we feel or what we're curious about, why not? Who gives a shit? Um, I'm also a comedian in that if you think too much about what you're going to say, you're usually not very funny. It's why not polite people are usually not very funny because they're always thinking about how am I going to offend these people? I'm going to offend these people. Sometimes you're going to offend people like big whoop. 
I think intent is the big thing. Like my coworker, she saw my intent. My intent wasn't to make her, to sexualize her or, uh, you know, do, you know, indicate to suggestive behavior. I don't know, however you want to say this. Be creepy and weird maybe is the easiest way. And so when I apologized, she's like, oh, yeah, I knew you didn't do that. And at the same time, it was important for her to tell me that so I would know that in the future. And it's that's the responsibility. You have to accept the responsibility of who you are and the mistakes you've made. And if you accept those responsibilities, usually if you come at it with intent, say you're sorry, they're fine with it. Now I know. Like I didn't know that about things because you can joke about a dude's body all you want. And this is these are like going into, I guess, men and women dynamics. Like there's certain things you can do around men that you cannot do around women. It's people, we're all equal. It's like, nah, I can make very filthy jokes around my dude friends and maybe some of my lady friends but i can't make those same jokes around some of my lady friends it's just like they're gonna get mad and i do think that often because women are you know sexualized because they're more attractive and you know that's the way things are i there are certain protocols you have to be around these around them and they get more offended than dudes do about things yeah that's part of it uh I think sometimes people, the same way, like being ang- getting angry at things feels good. I think outrage about things also feels good. So when people fuck up, they're like, yeah, you fucked up. You fucked up. It's like, yeah, I fucked up. Okay. Like one thing I don't like about, especially this woke culture we have on the far left, it's like, aren't we allowed any fuck ups? Like, especially if you're trying to do better or is it like you fuck up and then you're done. And I think it's more you fuck up then you're done and then people are afraid to ever change and it just is a monster that keeps eating itself. The world's not perfect. And I tend to like to face the reality of things rather than make a dance of trying to be polite, I guess. And that's my way of doing things, you know, teach their own. Um, I know a lot of people who are very polite and who I care for dearly. But I don't like being afraid to be who I am, and this is who I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah, consequences of, of not being polite, there are them. Um, I guess moving on. And this final topic I will talk about uh, actually was inspired by the Abigail Schreier. She was recently on Joe Rogan talking about her new book, Bad Therapy. And I was like, oh, fuck yes, because uh, that episode was great, and she had a lot of great points about therapy. One thing most people don't get about therapy is that, especially if you're going to send your kid to therapy, therapy as a kid and therapy as an adult is very different. It's why when I went to therapy as a kid, I went to a child psychiatrist who specialized in dealing with kids because there is a difference. And when I went to therapy as, I guess, first I will define like bad therapy. What 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 am I talking about? Well, therapy when you're a kid, if you don't have a proper psychiatrist, uh, it can it can do damage just like any medical intervention. And as a kid, you're looking for a reason of why the way you are the way you are. And it's easy to sulk in your own trauma as a teenager because you 
maybe don't have the best boundary setting and you cannot define your problems. And so being with someone who's untrained with how to deal with kids, it can end up where you're just talking about your problems indefinitely, which talking about your problems is helpful to a point as long as it's going somewhere to resolve, but just spiraling down in your own issues and bitching is not very helpful and it doesn't create resilient people. And it's because children are so malleable as compared to adults who can kind of set their own boundaries and figure out things, set how long do I want to see a therapist? That's an important thing. This is podcast is kind of tilted towards bipolars and people with severe mental illnesses and those bipolar schizophrenics do tend to need longer term therapy if lifelong therapy but most people should have a limit like okay i'm dealing with this one issue i'm going to have four sessions and i'm going to make sure that i'm trying to get there if i'm not getting there maybe i need to change therapists or try something else but i hadn't thought because i had such good i have such i've had such a good therapist my whole life how it can go terribly 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 wrong um it's not for like sulking in emotions. Therapy is really not to sulk in your emotions. It's to help you understand the way you feel and move forward with them. I'm a person who have who has sulked in his own emotions plenty. And it's helpful to understanding, but there's a time even when I'm going through my own emotions where I have to set a hard boundary saying, okay, I've thought about this enough. I'm not going anywhere with this. Move on. Think about other things. Don't keep thinking about this. This is not productive. Therapy is a tool to help you help yourself. It is to help you create tools to help yourself. It is not for the therapist to become the tool to help you. That's one thing a lot of, I can't do this without talking to my therapist. I can't do this. Like, like, that's not what a therapist is for. And also, like, there, have to, there has to be like a lot of fucking narcissistic therapists to feel like, oh, these people have to come to me to feel safe so we can talk about their issues. Whatever, you're just... You're just like a weird fucking demon monster sucking, like living off of the trauma of others and feeding them everything they want to hear, which is like a form of an Oedipal mother complex, and it's gross and disgusting. And it's not making resilient people. Therapy is supposed to make you resilient. It's supposed to help you understand why you got to some place, then help, and then if you could, through that understanding, you can build resilience to get back to baseline and help develop systems that won't let you get back there again. But it's, and I guess I'm also talking about this because I often talk about the benefits of therapy. And I didn't think about the bad sides of therapy, but I'm not surprised they do exist. And in this episode with uh, Abigail Schreier, she pointed out that there are some psychologists who will stop taking people with bipolar and schizophrenia because they're difficult patients so they can see other people, which is fucking disgusting. People with bipolar and schizophrenia need a therapist. And other people don't need them as much. And the fact that there were parents, like I heard that moms would put kids in therapy before anything bad happened, before you had any issues. Like if you don't have any issues, why would you waste your time at therapy? If you just had an issue, like I've talked about before, I had a German friend who had like a uh, someone pass away and he went to a single therapy session and it was super helpful. That's what therapy's for. Say, like He did not have a chronic issue, worked it out there, moved on. We are not building resilient people. One thing that is awesome about having a mental illness, if you can overcome it, is that you do become quite the resilient person. I'm quite, quite the resilient person. But if you are a person who 
is using therapy as a clutch, as a as a way to not build those skills of resilience, of moving on, of not being so about yourself. Like that's one thing I have to remind myself to stop thinking about yourself all the fucking time. You're just a fucking person. You're just a fucking person. You don't need to be thinking about yourself and all these problems. Often that'll make it worse. I, I'm not, and I'm not like a therapist how to deal with trauma and stuff. There's other things, you know, there are skills I don't have. But if you're someone who hasn't gone through trauma, and even some people who have gone through trauma don't necessarily need therapy. There's ways you can deal with bad things that have happened to you. But they have to be like actually tra- traumatic stuff, you know? Like getting raped as a kid, like that's traumatic. Having a severe mental illness like bipolar or schizophrenia, that's stuff you need to be in therapy for. Being broken up with, like that's life. That's life. Having your heart broken, life. Life, not therapy. And I mean this all this whole whole situation feeds back into stuff that just frustrates me because I don't like weakness. I don't like being weak. It's I felt like a very weak person seven years ago. When I started college and I left high school and I just I felt like I couldn't do anything and I hated that feeling. And I worked really hard to try to become stronger. And that's a good thing. You, you don't want to sulk in your emotions, and you can as a kid, especially make your emotions way too big. Take it from someone who has too big of emotions. Sometimes you have to let things go. Let that emotional knot go. Don't just keep tangling it up because that's what these therapy, they're just tangling up this emotional knot. And it's like if you had a piece of string that wasn't even a knot, like it's just a line. Your emotions are normal. And then you just started tangling it up. That's all you're fucking doing. This is not helpful. You don't have a knot. You're fine. And, you know, sometimes I'm not super sympathetic. I have had bipolar my whole life. I've had plenty of difficulties and issues and very, very hard times that I've overcome that have helped make me who I am. And I can be tough on stuff like this, but you have to be tough, you know, no matter what. And more than anything, I blame therapists in the medical system for doing this to people. Like, this is disgusting, the fact that you're trying to just, oh, oh, was that hard? Oh, and you feel like you're helping people. It's like, well, no, when I was a kid and I was in, I guess to go back to my own experience, till I was about an adult, my psychiatrist almost said nothing in every appointment I went to for what? Four to five, no, five, I started to see him frequently at five to 18, 13 years. Very little, said a couple things here and there, but very rarely said anything that was impactful or significant. And now I understand why, because it's really easy to get a child to think a certain way and make, maybe if it's not even intentional, make say things that put things in a child's mind, that make them think a certain way that's not as productive or helpful. And it's why you need someone who's trained in that type of thing. Also, like we don't give chemotherapy to people who don't need it. We're not like, well, you got this wart. We're going to give you some chemotherapy. It'll get rid of... No. You don't need to do that. And I think... And maybe I should try to... Therapy is a tool. It's not a sulking tool. It's work. It's not, oh, I'm going to go here and then... 
they're this person who's going to make everything feel okay. It's like, no, they're going to help you figure out how to make things okay, and that could take some time. Um, I don't think it's always also pleasant. Positivity, like the world's not always super happy, especially now. It's very chaotic, and bad things are probably going to happen in the future. And you need to be a resilient person, or else, like, when shit really hits the fan... <laughs> Good luck. Be resilient. Be strong. I think everyone should want to be strong no matter who you are. You should want to be strong and resilient because that can help people. But being dependent on someone to feel okay is codependence. And that's not strong. And that's not cool. So be strong. Anyway, thank you very much for watching. Um... Until next time.